Well, good morning, everyone. If you're a guest with us, you have in your little paper packet that you got when you came in, you have an outline, you can pull that out. We'll be in 1 Kings, which is in the Old Testament, uh, and it is right before 2 Kings. Just thought I'd throw that out. Uh, <laughs> so it's kind of in the beginning-ish part of your Bible. And we'll be in chapter 19, so you can go there. And of course, all our stuff's also available digitally on uh, newbreak.church. So just so you're aware. And this weekend, we kick off our series on Elisha. We've been in a series on Elijah, who's his mentor. And we'll see this as we go along in the, in the passage. But uh, we'll, we're, the, the message is entitled, Finding Your Place. Because that's a big deal in our lives. And it's not something that we just find once and then poof, we got it. <laughs> it's kind of a thing that we discover at all the different life stages, whether we're in middle school, like the middle school students that just went out, you know, at that stage, which is, that's a gnarly stage, isn't it? Middle school? How many of you remember middle school? Yeah, it can be a gnarly stage of life. That's why I want to give special attention to it. But anyway, w whatever stage you are in, it's, it's always something where we're finding our place and dealing with our own insecurities because that's a lot of times what keeps us from finding our place, like, like finding our place in ministry in a church, in, in our case, Newbreak, or finding our place in ministry in our jobs, or finding our place in ministry in our family systems and, and, and how that all works and is navigated. And that's, that can be very scary. I remember when I became a Christ follower as an adult, it was very, very hard in my family system to sort of out myself <laughs> and navigate that. And they had a really hard time with me uh, becoming a Christ follower. So it's, it's interesting. Now, if you follow me on socials, you know that for the last uh, three weeks, we've had the privilege of having my grandkids, two of them with us. One is 15 and he's a boy. In fact, I have a picture of Riley. Uh, here, this is my wife, Teresa, and Riley, and this is at the OB Street Fair last Saturday, which is one of the epic events in our San Diego County culture. It's just the most fun thing ever. 70,000 people came to my neighborhood last week, and, and Riley and I, uh, Riley and I, and Teresa for that matter, we love people watching. How many of you love people watching? I just love it. Like, I, I don't re really need much entertainment in an airport. I mean, you know, I could just sit there and watch the people. And Riley is very much like this. Riley is an amazing young man. He's brilliant, uh, probably close to the IQ of a genius because his dad is. And, uh, and, he, and yet he's on the autism spectrum. He has Asperger's. Uh, so he's a, a bit uniquely uh, uh, challenged, if you will, socially and everything. But he's, he's amazing uh, and he's been coached very well. And so he's, a, he's just a great kid. And Riley and I were down there many times during the day. One time we were sitting, uh, by the way, uh, how many of you are dating or married? Raise your hands. Okay, so I'm gonna give you a little inside information, okay? The OB uh, Barbecue House, okay? The OB Barbecue House, uh, arguably the best barbecue place in the county, okay? Might, you might wanna, men, men, you might wanna write that down. I'm just trying to help you out. Uh, anyway, it's a cool place because they have all kinds of different barbecue. And it's like that slow roasted pork, you know, chicken, beef. I'm a little hungry. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Riley, they have like, a, there's a restaurant and it's outdoor, indoor. And the outdoor uh, on the rail is like a bar. So you can sit at the bar and you're right on the sidewalk, which makes people watching extra special and cool. And so Riley and I got in this conversation about all the different kinds of people that were there. And he loves OB, so... 
So he's, he's just saying, Gramps, uh, that's my grandpa name, Gramps, uh, it's amazing all the different kinds of people. And I go, what about it? And he goes, well, they're just young and old and some really weird people and some really like normal people. And, and I said, yeah. And he goes, and their clothing is so different. Uh, in, in OB, we have a, a, a self-given name for the homeless. The homeless, generally speaking, in OB call themselves the travelers. Because uh, they're really kind of like, uh, kind of like my generation. I'm a hippie. Uh, so, like, they're kind of like the new hippies a bit in that they just sort of travel. <laughs> uh, so anyway, he was commenting on their clothing, which is a bit different from other people's and stuff like that. Anyway, and I said, I said, yeah, Riley, uh, people dress for lots of reasons. Some of it's fads, but a lot of it's also, it's, it's gestation is out of fear. And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, a lot of us have fear in our lives, and so we're kind of as- afraid, and we're f- afraid about a myriad of things, and, and so we dress differently and in ways that we feel are cool, which is nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that, that there can be a fear part of that dressing, that, that way we wear our hair or lack thereof, or, <laughs> or facial hair or not, or whatever. And, and he goes, yes, I, I can relate with that. I, I feel that inside of me. He's super self-aware. Anyway, and I said, you know where that began? And he said, where? And I said, well, in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered into the world. Remember when you're talking to the young, which in my clay, case is pretty much all of you all, um, <laughs> But when you're talking with the young, you're always trying to help them build a biblical worldview. That's the essence of discipleship, right? And that's what this is about. But uh, I I said, so when Adam and Eve sin, because they eat the apple that they're not supposed to eat, the one thing in the garden, (laughs) they eat it. (laughs) I want to have a conversation with Adam when I get to heaven. Uh, Anyway, uh, and then then in in the story, it says that Adam hid. He hides from God. And God asks him a question. It's a very penetrating question. And he's always asking us this question. Adam, what's the question? Where are you? And Adam responds, I was hiding. I was afraid because now I'm naked. That doesn't just mean physically naked. It means he's, he's exposed now. First time in his life. And that then ripples down through history. It ripples through our story. It ripples through the story of the scriptures. It ripples through God's story, which is what God's doing. That's why our question of the day is, how does my story, how does your story fit into the narrative of God? How does, it, how does your story, and we're at all different phases of this all the time in our lives, but even spiritually, if you will, like in the last uh, two weekends, uh, 35 people-ish uh, began a relationship with Jesus or recommitted their relationship with Jesus, which is pretty awesome, isn't it? Isn't it? That's, that's an incredible thing. So those of you who are there, that that's what you're doing. For you, it's, you're sort of beginning to see, and we'll talk a lot about seeing as we go. But, but for all of us, it's always this faith versus fear, this kind of way in which we grow and discover our way in life. 
And we have to discover how God works before we try to figure out how we work in his plans. Like we have to know God. We have to understand him and his story. And we're going to see it now. Go with me in your Bibles. I know your outline says 15. We're going to start at verse 12, okay? So we go to verse 12. I want to rewind just a hair to last weekend where Pastor Danny was and, and kind of pick the story up in the middle of this experience where Elijah has been running and now God is trying to appear to him, which he's trying to do to you this morning. God is trying to appear to you. That's what he's up to so that you'll hear and you'll see. And so I'm going to just start right in the middle of that experience, which was last weekend. But look at verse 12. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. And this is a big part of your challenge and my challenge. Generally, we have a hard time hearing the whispers of God. Why do we have a hard time hearing the whispers of God? Because of the noise. The noise. All our fears, all the noise, and the kind of crazy talk in our heads. You know, your, your crazy talk. How, how many of you know what I'm talking about? If you don't, we can have a conversation after church outside and... <laughs> it's all that crazy thinking, stinking thinking, right? So he comes in a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then God asks him essentially the same question as he asks Adam in the garden. He will constantly ask this question all through the biblical record. He will constantly ask you and I this question. What are you doing here, Elijah? That is the question for this morning. What are you doing here? What literally, like literally as you sit, or in my case, stand in this room, what am I doing here? What are you doing here? God's always asking us this question. What are you doing here? And it's super important. It's an it's a, it's a incredible question. You know what? One of your greatest challenges, and mine as well, is time in erodes awareness of. might write that down in your notes. Time in erodes awareness of. This is a great leadership concept, but it's a great spiritual concept. Time in erodes awareness of. Not necessarily, but it certainly can. You can become your own worst enemy, kind of comfortable in your own spiritual skin where you sort of settle, you sort of arrive, and I've got it, you know? And then this room then will become perverted. It'll become corrupt. This room will simply be a place where you get more data knowledge in your head, <laughs> but don't really experience God. And that'll be your enemy your whole life long. So what are you doing here, Elijah? So let's go on in the story. He replied, now he goes into his whining. He goes into his whining. Whining, whining, whining. Which we do all the time. How many of you know a lot of times our prayers are wines and we need a little cheese to go with the wine? And so he says, he's been, I've been very zealous for you, the Lord God Almighty. And I was talking to God, but you know, his way of expressing. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. For crying out loud, I am the only one left. The only one in the whole world. And now they're trying to kill me too. <laughs> and then God goes, Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. Mike, Mike, Mike. Ray, Ray, Ray. 
go back the way you came <laughs> and go to the desert. So now he gives him instructions, okay? Now he, he tells him what to do. Go back to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu. This is where a lot of these people kind of leap onto the pages of the history in a different way, okay? Anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha. And here's where Elisha comes onto the pages of biblical history. This is where he, he leaps onto the stage of history, the whole story of God and the world. And then he, uh, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abemahola, and to, to succeed you as prophet, Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet, I, and so now he corrects Elijah, who was whining. He said, yet I have saved, in fact, Elijah, Elijah just so you're aware, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him, which is an ancient form of worship where they would kiss the gods. And you see this in not only biblical history, but ancient uh, literature, where they kiss the gods. So God is sovereignly writing this story, and he's penning it out for uh, Elijah in this case so that he'll get who he is and what his life is about. Now, I want to show you a verse from the New Testament that'll be kind of a, a, a different way of looking at it. Uh, I'm going to show you a verse from Peter's writings. In, in Jesus' disciples, there was the masses, okay, the massive followers of Jesus. Then there was 120 that were closer. Then there was the 70 where he sent them out two by two. But then there was the 12, and then of the 12, there was how many? Three. That's right, there were three. What were their names? Peter, James, and John. And who was the favorite? John. And how do we know this? because John says he is the favorite in his gospel, okay? But I want to show you a, a statement to the church, thus to us. Remember, all these stories are in the Bible, and these verses particularly are in the Bible to direct us and instruct us. Read this out loud, in fact. Ready? But you are a chosen people. Okay, so God, God is, is involved in the process of building the church. Okay, this is about the church, the big C, capital C church, not just, you know, new break, if you will. The capital C church, you are a chosen people. And then the next words could bother some of you. What's it say? A. Oh, really? I know immediately, if you're honest, in your head, you're thinking, man, I'm not that holy, right? But God declares us holy. In the moment we become a Christ follower, God declares us holy. Now, there's a whole process of holification. <laughs> Technically, it's called sanctification. I just made holification up. But, you know, they're, they're, you're engaged then in a process of becoming more and more whole. And holy, the root idea of agiazo in the Greek, is separated apart for a purpose, okay? Separated apart for a purpose. Now, here it says royal priesthood. Now, how many of you grew up in a liturgical background where there was priests? So, me too. So, this is a really radical idea. He says, you are now a holy nation, a, ro a royal priesthood. So, you are, as soon as you become a Christ follower, you are, from that moment forward, a priest. In fact, from a broader biblical perspective, we are now a community of prophets, priests, and kings. That's why he uses the word royal. You're now royalty. Okay, so everybody point to yourself. Repeat after me. 
I am royal. Wow. And then the next, repeat this. I am now a priest. And what does a priest do? A priest essentially brings the ways of the kingdom of God to the earth. That's what you're doing everywhere you are. This is what God wants you to wrap your mind around. Whether you're Elijah, Elisha, or Mike, or Megan, or whoever you are. And what's our essential, by the way, this is super cool too, that you're God's special possession. John had it right. It's just that John thought more of himself. <laughs> okay. But you all, are, you know how, uh, how many of you know as parents you're not allowed to have favorite kids? You don't figure that one out. <laughs> it's trouble, trouble, trouble. But, but from a biblical perspective, we're all his favorite kids, okay? We, we're special to all of them, or to him. We're all special to him. Anyway, that we may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light, which, yes, is worship and all that, but how do you declare the praises? By living out the kingdom of God and the ways of the kingdom of God. And God's plans extend beyond our lifetime, be way beyond your lifetime. I want to show you something that wouldn't be readily apparent just by reading the passage as we just did. Uh, anoint Haziel, uh, Jehu, and Elisha. This takes 15 to 18 years to accomplish. This takes 15 to 18 years. So it's, it's not about just you and your, you, your generation, you personally and then the generation that's around you. It's about multi-generational thinking. Elijah needs to see this. Elisha needs to see this. You and I need to see this. I love this quote. No one generation can do everything, but each generation must see to it that people in the next generation are called and trained. Why? To continue the work of the Lord. So, okay, we have Summer Jam that they talked with you about in the host section today. Summer Jam, I thought it'd be cool to have Pastor Sarah come up here, who's our family pastor. Uh, pastor Sarah, give her a hand. And she's going to share with you guys kind of the why and the what Absolutely. of that. Kids Summer Jam is such an incredible opportunity, July 9th through 12th from 9 to noon, where we get to invest in the lives of our kids. Uh, kindergarten through fifth grade get to come here for four days of summer camp. And it's pretty incredible because we have over 130 children signed up. But even beyond that, we have 27 students signed up to help lead them and 37 adults signed up to help lead. That's an intergenerational setting. Yeah, so how many students? Uh, 27. 27 currently. students are going to come and, and lead, learn how to lead, like mm -hmm. learn how to do what you're doing. Yes. And, and then, then how many adults? They'll be 37. They're going to be 30. mentored by the adults who are mentoring the students, who are mentoring the children. Right, right, right. It's so Do you good. need any more adults? Absolutely. Absolutely. We always need more. So please. What are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, we need more adults for sure. Our theme this year is Power Up, Raise Your Game. I thought that was an appropriate theme for this. It comes from 2 Peter 1.3. God's power has given us everything we need to lead a godly life. How amazing is it going to be to be able to teach that to our kids, but then we're living it out while we're teaching it to them. I was thinking about the message today with Elijah ministering to and mentoring Elisha and thinking, I wonder how much time he invested in Elisha. 50%? 10%? What is a reasonable amount of time? You know, every kid and student deserves and needs consistent adults who are invested and committed to them. 
it can radically change their lives. But it's not just theirs, it's ours as well. I was blessed to go to multiple eighth grade promotions this year. My daughters came with me, and it's a unique story in that we realized while we were sitting there that all of us in some capacity had had these girls um, in a mentorship way from preschool all the way through eighth grade. Isn't that incredible? And here we are. And I literally teared up at their eighth grade promotions because I thought, I'm not going to do it now. Stop up, Pastor Mike. He's already <laughs> crying. <laughs> he me. I, what a blessing it was. Our lives were transformed and changed because we got to be part of theirs. They're part of our story. We're part of theirs. I don't want you to miss that. It is such a gift. We gave 1% of our time. 1%. That's like 7.2 hours a month being a life group leader on a Wednesday night, and our lives are changed by that. A half a percent is two services twice a month in a kids' or a student's area. Can Isn't you, in, yeah. in our system, can you serve in kids' ministry twice a month? Yes. Okay. I just Absolutely. We would love it. We would love it for you to come and be able to do that with us. Partner with us. Be part of their story. Um, you will be changed for sure. We only have a finite amount of time to really impact kids and students while we're here, to yeah. love them, to invest in them, and to mentor them. And so I would love to be able to tell you more about that and come ask me questions. You can even sign up online if you don't have a chance to come see me after Where will service. You be? I'll be right on the patio. Okay. After like service. Like over there? Or kind of over there. Okay. Yeah, by the serve wall. Come cool. serve kids and students this cool. summer. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Give her a hand. What God is doing is amazing. Now, look, I know some of you are scared of the idea of ministering to kids. It's scary. I get it. I had several of them. I get it. But we won't just, you, we'll walk you through it. We'll train you. We'll help you understand. Well, Pastor Mike, do I have to like exegete, you know, Judges chapter 5 and teach that lesson from the Bible by myself with 28 kids in a room? No. <laughs> no, you won't. We'll put you in a team with experienced people, and then we have curriculum that really, by the way, this is a tremendous uh, thing for you as parents. I encourage parents always to be involved in kids' ministry above their kids' age, because uh, what it'll do is the curriculum's written by people with graduate degrees in curriculum development, as well as theology, and it'll teach you how to teach and disciple your children, and what'll happen is you'll learn psychological development and, and how to do that just a hair ahead of your own children, which is incredible, incredibly important because a lot of us don't really know how to do that. We don't really know how to disciple our kids. And, and anyway, curriculum will be your greatest friend. So, so all of this is the case. And look, God has written you into the story long before you were even aware, way before you had a clue. God already wrote you into his story. What do you mean, Pastor Mike? Okay, in this record, in this story, Elijah goes from there, and he finds Elisha, son of Shaphat. Now, we'll see in a moment what Elijah was, Elisha was doing. But Elisha didn't have a clue until Elijah comes onto his scene. So I want us to do something for a second before we go on. I want us to pray for a minute, okay? So bow your heads and close your eyes, and you guys outside as well. And I want to walk us through uh, a little prayer journey. I'm going to read for us, in a kind of attitude of prayer and contemplation, a psalm called Psalm 139. It's written by the great poet, songwriter, and king, David. Okay? So I'm going to read it for you. It's from Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. So just in prayer here, just listen. 
David writing, God's kind of speaking. Here it is. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works, meaning us, your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me, all the days that I'm going to live, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, now, I want to lead us in a prayer, okay? So you guys just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I'm going to say little pieces of the prayer, and I have it written out here, and then I'm going to, um, and then you just repeat them, okay? So I'm going to lead you in prayer about this, about this idea, okay? So, Father, thank you for creating me and loving me in amazing ways and to have a plan for my life. From this day forward, I want my life to align even more with the purposes that you have planned for me. You know all things. Please give me greater clarity of what I am called to do and what you have written in your book about my life so that I can live out your plan. Now just sit there for a few minutes with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Just sit and let God speak to you. Listen for his voice now. It may be a whisper. It may, he may give you a picture, a word uh, you know, from him, or, or just some sense of peace about what you're doing if you're taking some steps of faith and ministry in your home or ministry in your neighborhood or ministry in your work or what ministry in your church, whatever it is, okay? So just rest in his presence a moment. God for hearing our prayers and giving us direction on the purposes that you have for our lives continue to give us clarity every day of our lives that our life might be an experience of greater and greater clarity and wisdom and strength from your spirit as we attempt to align our lives with your plans and and live those plans out Lord that we might see kind of like the prayer in the in the 4th of July uh, video that we might see Lord your kingdom come and your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven even when I can't see you when even when I'm doing the ordinary mundane seemingly boring things of life that you are there and they can be amazing times if we can only see so help us to see in Jesus name Look, you guys, look at the screen. God knows where you're plowing. 
He knows where you're working. He knows what you're doing every day. Elijah, he goes and, you know, finds Elisha. And what was he doing? He was plowing. He was plowing. Doing his everyday faithfulness of what he was called to do. Now, we know from the larger story, Elisha was wealthy. So he was a person that was gifted with the gift of wealth, of which he was a steward of and, and so forth. But, but he's plowing. He's doing the everyday thing. He's doing the everyday deal. The point here is parents, he sees you with what you're doing. Moms and dads, with littles, you know, like in the crazy challenges of littles. And a lot of you have a lots of littles. <laughs> and, and it's hard for you. It's hard for you. In your workplaces, you're just doing your thing. But he's there. He's always there. He wants you to see. He, he wants you to, to understand and get it. And, and this is super important. What you do does not determine what's sacred. It's the how and why that makes it sacred. Why are you doing what you are doing? Like, are you doing it simply to earn money? Or are you doing it because you're building the kingdom of God there? Well, Pastor Mike, I'm an IT a director. I don't really get how that works. Well, are there people there? <laughs> well, some, but they're kind of jerks. I get it, but God's there. Well, what does he want me to do? He wants you to see that you're his hands and feet in that place. Everywhere you go can become a sacred space if you get it. He knows where you're plowing. He knows where you're plowing. And, oh, this is good. Privilege or prestige is no substitute for preparation. No substitute. He himself was driving the 12th pair. Now, he's a wealthy person, but he is driving the 12th pair. And all the time, all the time, what's God been doing in Elisha? Preparing him. But Elisha has to see this now. And God's going to continue to prepare him. Here, there's 15 to 18 years between this weekend and next weekend. What will be next weekend is that far forward. All of this is preparatory, but it always is. It always is. You're always being prepared for something next. It's, it's, it's a way of life. It's the way that it is. The question is, how am I handling how I am being prepared now? Uh, I got to go to a friend of mine's uh, uh, exchange of command ceremony. He is sitting here. His name is Kevin, his wife Denise. Uh, and, and Kevin was here years ago. We knew each other the best because we were life group leaders together. Actually, they quickly became the life group leaders. I was just there. <laughs> anyway, uh, so Kevin on, what was that, Thursday? Thursday. He, he, so he's a, a colonel. He's a bird colonel in the Marine Corps. And he took over the command of Group 38, which on Miramar is a big deal. It's a large responsibility. So I got to go to the ceremony. And it was so cool to watch you do it because the t there was a two-star general there that was talking to us. There was a crowd of probably 100 maybe a little bit more, mostly military people, some civilians, family was there, and it was very cool. So the general got done, and he sat down, and Kevin got up, and just the way you did it was just so cool. He got up, and he said, look, I, I, I have to thank a couple of groups, if you will. One is God. Uh, <laughs> I, have to, I have to admit and lean into the fact that without God in my life, I would never be where I am. And it's solely by his grace that I am here today. 30 years ago this month, I was 
Kevin, I was a corporal in the Marine Corps. Now I am a colonel taking over Group 38, which is amazing, right? That's just incredible. And then he thanked all the people that had poured into him and the Elijahs of his life who had poured into his life. So he was able to like put in space and place the glory and grace of God in front of all these other colonels and majors and enlisted people. I was sitting next to a E7 and his family, the Rones. And anyway, it was just really cool. See, because he got it. He got the moment. And he said that all of the years in his life have been preparation for this year. He'll be here for two years. Uh, and then he rotates into his probably end. No, not the end. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know. But you want to be, is it okay to say what, you, what your hope is for the next position? Oh, yeah. He wants to be, if I get this right, he wants to be like the top commander in charge of all hand-to-hand -hand and close combat. Force fitness. Force fitness is what they call it, which is gnarly and cool at the same time. <laughs> but see, it's all preparation. Like what he's doing now is preparation for the next thing. It's always about preparation. What you're doing is always preparing for the ways and the things of God. And you have to pay attention when people speak into you your potential. Uh, you know, Elijah goes up to him and throws his cloak around him. Now this doesn't, I have to explain it. What does that mean? Okay. <laughs> In a prophet ancient world, even kings, when they would do this, it would be to sort of anoint you, if you will, for your future calling. It's like, so by physical action, Elijah is kind of prophesying into Elisha of the future of his life. And Elisha would understand this is a very important moment. And this is a very impo important moment for you guys. This is a very important moment. See, I see in you greatness. Whenever I meet you, I'm kind of wired that way. It's also a maturity thing. The more you grow in Christ, the more this is how you roll. You, you start to see when you're meeting people anywhere, especially on high school campuses or college campuses or in your workplace, uh, you know, in the challenges. My sons both manage a bunch of millennials, and they're always coming to me with their problems. Uh, managing millennials is the greatest challenge of their lives. And I said, yeah, I get it, but you're going to have to deal with it. <laughs> and one of the ways you're going to have to deal with it is seeing the potential in the millennials and calling that out of them. And this is what I see in you. I see it in all those middle schoolers that go out and uh, go to the class. I see it in the high schoolers. I see it everywhere I go. These, this is seeing with the eyes of God. You start to see what God's doing. And you, again, you get to partner with him, which is the greatest gift of your life. No matter what's going on in your life, if you recognize this, it'll change everything. You're partnering with God if you choose. And then you'll play a more significant role in his story. Always. Jesus taught it. When you're faithful in a little, what's going to happen? He's going to entrust you with more. Notice the word entrust. When you're faithful in a little, he's going to entrust you with more. But you and I, we have to be willing to turn the page. Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. It says, Elisha then, so remember Elijah uh, throws his cloak over him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah, and then he says something to Elijah. He says, hey, Elijah, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I'll come uh, with you. I'll, I'll, come, I'll come with you. Now, uh, and then he says, 
Elijah replies, and this doesn't, it's not real clear in the NIV. I'm reading from the NIV translation. It says, go back, Elijah replies, what have I done to you? Now, that doesn't translate very well. I'm going to show you a paraphrase of it that I think accurately says what, that what is actually taking place in the original language, which is Hebrew. So this is from the message translation. Elijah says, go ahead, but mind you, don't forget what I've just done to you. Now, th this is a warning. So God's warning Elisha through Elijah. He's warning you right now literally. I've been praying for you for a couple of weeks because I've had this message in me. So this is, a, this is a moment of danger. The danger is, Elisha, you can go back and kiss your mom and dad and become all wrapped up in that thing and not be willing to leave and follow me. You can hear a message like this and not choose to really get involved in your ministry of, yes, in the church, of course, you know, getting involved in your ministry in the church, your church, but you can also do this in your workplace, you can do this in your home, you can do this in your neighborhoods, and I know it's scary uh, for you to lead in your home sometimes, it's frightening, you don't know quite how to do it, we have people that can help you learn how to do that, we have conferences for you, it's a warning to you though, what'll happen if you don't act on what I'm saying right now? is then you'll become more and more calloused. This is where a lot of you are struggling. You become more and more calloused to what God wants to do in you and through you. And you excuse it away in a million ways. And what'll happen is it'll cut to what the Bible calls the hardening of the heart. This will happen over time, just like calluses on a hand with, with a pickaxe. And this is how you'll become hardened. And then it'll take major intervention for God to kind of get your attention. But this is what's happening in the passage. And then commit like there's no turning back. Look at what Elisha does. Look at what Elisha does. So Elisha left him and went back to, and took, he took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He kills them. His oxen. And then he burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. This is about... The cross, this is about taking up your cross daily and following him. This is about no holds barred. This is about committing like there's no turning back. This is like, I'm going to be a follower of Christ if it kills me, and I do mean literally. <laughs> this is the, and these are lines you're going to have all through your life in your marriage. You're going to have them in your dating lives. You're going to have them in your career paths. You're going to have all these things that come up against you as a man or a woman of God in your faith and the temptation is going to be to pull back and kind of forget and kind of forget who you are and whose you are. This is, and, and you'll settle for a God of materialism. You'll settle for a Baal. You'll settle for, settle for the asterisks. And that, they were very, it was a very materialistic philosophy in the other cults of the Old Testament world. They believed in God as long as the God brought the rain, as long as the God brought the rain. And some of you have this kind of a relationship with God. You know, I mean, let's just be honest. How many of us tend to pray more when we're suffering, right? Well, maybe it's only me. You know, this is the deal. God is God. We are his, all right? And then this, this one. The theme of our story is always service. Always service. 
What's it say in, in uh, the rest of the verse? It says, Elisha then becomes his what? Servant. He becomes his servant. And by the way, the, root word, the, the Hebrew word there is seret. And seret actually means serving. Uh, it also has an honor component to it. So, so from a biblical perspective, serving. You're serving God, but you're serving others. Like in kids' ministry, you're serving God and you're serving others. You're also serving those that are over you in the, in the ministry structure, if you will. Because uh, when you enter into it, you're going to enter it in a path, and then that's a leadership pathway, and then they're going to develop you. I'm just saying it's honoring. It's honoring to the kids. It's honoring to you know, those around you. It's honoring to God. It's a life of honor. That's what he's called you to, a life of honor. It doesn't matter who you are or how old you are. The question is who and where is God calling you to serve? Now, yes, he's calling you to serve in your church, obviously, but he's calling you to serve globally too. Uh, I want to show you something to kind of elevate our thinking to more of an upper room. We're in 850 BC in this scene, okay? In 786, I think it is, uh, 786, the, the, the northern kingdom of Israel is conquered by Assyria. This is Assyria. This is a map of the Middle East in the ancient world. The, and they're pulled all across the world into the Middle East. In, uh, uh, the, in the fifth century BC, Israel, uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, is conquered by Babylon, and they're pulled across in the Babylonian Empire as well. This is where Daniel, uh, the prophet Daniel, comes on the scene and so forth. But I, I just want to show you this map, uh, and many of them ultimately settle in Susa, because then the Babylonian Empire becomes conquered by the Medo-Persian Empire, the Persian Empire. Susa is one of the capitals of that uh, nation. And all of this happens. This is where Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, um, all kinds of Bibli uh, 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 Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, and Esther. Esther, the book of Esther. All of that comes from here, and particularly Susa. Sushan, it's called in the Old Testament sometimes. So it all happens there. And, and so God, why? Part of it is God wants, in this case, the Israelites, to bring his ways to the world. In our times, he wants us to bring his ways to the world. Now, this is a map of this same area today. We just call it Iraq, Iran, Syria, and all the rest, Saudi Arabia. Okay, so if you're, so I just want to bring you awareness because we're going to pray for the church the capital C. In, if you're following the news, last week we had a drone, an unmanned drone, shot out of the air, an act of war by the Iranians. We almost then retaliated with uh, three launches uh, that would have taken out three ma uh, major missile complexes in Iran. How many of you know this? Okay, just making sure. <laughs> okay, uh, we decided not to do it because there would be too much collateral damage, too much life lo uh, loss of life in Iran, and you know we're trying to continue to negotiate their nuclear armaments and so forth. But what's happening? This is what hap This is what you see on CNN, okay, and ABC, and whatever. But God's doing something really unique. Now, historically, recently, to be in many of these countries and to be a Christian, you would be either murdered or persecuted in different ways, imprisoned, certainly. 
and uh, ultimately you became a refugee, which is why in our Kingdom Builders, in this year, if we raise it, we're going to give $50,000 of our Kingdom Builders to refugees. We commonly refer to them as Syrian refugees, but they're also Iraqi and Iranian uh, refugees. And they're all in there. But these are the ancient people. These are the same people that are in 1 Kings 19. What God's doing now is he's building his underground church in Iran, particularly. Uh, I, I have, we have missionaries on the ground here. We have missionaries all over the Middle East. And you can't, you know, you cannot know specifically about them uh, because it would be dangerous for them. But our missions team knows about them and so forth. And what's happening is particularly wealthy Iranians are going to Turkey, Istanbul in particular, on vacation, and they're, they're getting saved right and left. Like, easy peasy. It's crazy what's happening. Then they go back, but they can't out themselves because they would be killed. So the underground church, much, much like China, the underground church is now birthing and building and growing in the underbelly of Iran. How many of you think that's cool? That's amazing. And it's a miracle, like God's doing a lot of miracles with it. Uh, so I just want to spend a moment praying for the ministry of the church, okay? Because you're involved in this financially, I, but I want you to be involved in it prayerfully. And then we'll pray for us and, uh, you know, us as a church and us as individuals, okay? So let's pray.